eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Radio Network. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, I don't know about you. I'm old enough to remember when West Virginia and Virginia Tech was an annual matchup, and it's been 16 years, which is older than your kids since they were last year it's been four years since they last played which is far too long are you going to be able to do this today yeah i think i am <laughs> i i can't believe hey, when he was talking about it, when neil brown was talking about that trying to educate the players and everything i, I guess i never really put the math together on some of that but it, it, it was true so a lot of those guys on both rosters not just west virginia but virginia tech too kind of need a a rehash of what this rivalry is because most of them were not in grade school. Many of them were in diapers the last time, you know, West Virginia and tech were, were truly playing year after year. Neil Brown was a fresh faced wide receivers coach at Delaware. The last time they played Morgantown. How about that? <laughs> youngin, a youngin. Very. And by my count here, West Virginia has three players who played against Virginia Tech. Um, I'm not even sure they played. We're on the roster. X Relo, Evan Staley, and Sean Mahone. So, again, that's not too long ago, but that's the type of space we've had in this. Like, it was, it was like an annual thing, obviously, but people came to school because they wanted to play, not just against Virginia Tech, but, like, wanted to play Virginia Tech. Or, without fail, there was some familiarity you know, the offensive linemen knew the defensive linemen, the receivers knew the defensive back, so on and so forth. And you just don't see a lot of that right now. Although they do, they do recruit against each other quite a bit, but um, you don't have, I don't know, you, you don't have familiarity about, oh, the last time you played them, we were able to do this, or, you know, I got past this guy because of this. None of that stuff exists anymore. So here's to creating new memories because <laughs> this will, this will come back quickly and then go away quickly. The, a limited series um, return game will be in, in Blacksburg, and then who knows how long this goes on hiatus. So, hey, might as well enjoy this one. Um, to what degree are you looking forward to this? I don't know. As the the Capital J journalist, as the fan of college football, as the pundit who thinks he knows about West Virginia, but is probably going to learn a lot on Saturday. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can answer that middle one. I, I, I think we've pretty made pretty clear i'm not a capital j journalist over here that that's that's your role michael that that's your role for this for this thing we got going on here but um it's big i like i like games one um as a fan of the college football i'm 
I, I love games where the fans and the schools kind of sort of truly don't like each other. Uh, I mean, I know we, we talked about this before with the Maryland thing, and somebody asked me about uh, Maryland's Twitter account poking fun at WV after the game, and I was like, I don't have a problem with it. So they're supposed to do. That's what makes college football great is that you talk trash, you live, uh, you know, you, you enjoy the wins, you, the the losses suck, and you really kind of hate certain teams. You don't like certain teams. You want to beat certain teams more than others. So the idea that West Virginia is getting back to playing some of those games, it, it I enjoy it. I really do as a fan of college football. I love to see those kind of rivalry games, the ones where um, regional rivals, fans don't like each other. So that's a big one. And as somebody who covers West Virginia, this is, uh, I know people have asked and we've joked about it and we kind of said it was true, but this is the biggest game of Neil Brown's career. And not just because it's quote, the next one, it is the biggest one. Like by a fairly good margin, I think at least so far in his young career at West Virginia. Yeah. I don't think there's any conversation about that. You're not, I know you like to go out on limbs, but you're, you not could, you could, yeah. You could trampoline this limb, I think. I don't think anybody's <laughs> going to argue that. Non-conference game, absolutely. Conference game, I think he circled like the, the Texas game a couple of years ago, at least for a crowd or an atmosphere. I mean, they haven't been on the field really with Oklahoma. I mean, literally just one time. They weren't on the field last year. Um, and then just in a weird spot against, you know, Iowa State two years ago, again, didn't really play well last year. And then, I don't know, the Tony Gibson revenge game didn't really get a lot of people going in 2019. At Missouri, his second game. I'm looking at, like, opponents here and and times where the team was ranked, and you just don't see a lot of it. And, frankly, you could have had some ranked opponents or some familiar opponents, but this one's just going to be bigger because of who it is. Um, not many teams they played more often than Virginia Tech, um, Pitt, Penn State, Syracuse, Maryland, Maryland, just by one game. So this is a job even. That's how frequent this is. And another reason it's big is that the opportunities to to play a lot of these rivals from the past are, are fleeting now because of the way schedules are. So this is kind of a cool thing where Maryland, Virginia Tech, uh, next year is what, at Pitt, at Virginia Tech, then Pitt, Penn State. By the way, at Pitt, at Virginia Tech next year. Mm, mm, um, mm, mm. Yeah, Pitt, Penn State coming up. Um, but then, like, the soonest you can get Maryland or Virginia Tech or is 2029 probably. Who knows what the conferences look like and how many non-conference games you have. Might have room for one more. Who knows? Uh, might not have a chance. Maybe they're playing 10 conference games. But you just don't get a lot of these. And not to put a whole lot on Neil Brown, but year three, climbing, lose at Maryland, lose at home to Virginia Tech. These are opponents that the fans really want to see you play. They've been clamoring for them, and you know these schedules take a lot of time to take action, and and you, you know you put them on paper so many years in advance. And the time comes, and you like to enjoy them, and if you're not winning them, that's a big one. So, yeah, winning would be great, but losing after losing to Maryland, that wouldn't be very good either. And then you know they do run into each other in recruiting, similar to Maryland. They're going to play each other next year. That trophy, Neil Brown has calculated the number of days it's been in Blacksburg, which is probably some type of weaponry for his his team and motivation. Um, a whole lot feels better if they win. And here's the weird part, Chris. I mean, not much feels better. Nothing feels better if you lose. But the, the folks I've talked to off the line are like, well, what's different if they lose? They just haven't been able to get and keep their head above water. And that was a reality I hadn't really considered. 
Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but if they don't lose or if they don't win the game, if they lose, does that change a lot of things? And I hadn't thought about that. Does that make sense? It kind of does. And isn't that bad? Sad? Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, that that losing this game and falling to one and two, losing two rivalry games, falling to one and two with where, one and three staring you square in the face doesn't change anything. I think that that's not a good spot you want to be in as, as a program. Whereas if you're two and zero and you lose, man, you know, felt like we were reaching that apex, guys, and this is that's a bummer. But you know, reset a little bit. But I hadn't really thought about that. You know, when you think about five and seven and, and six and four, felt okay. I think when you look at finishing with a bowl game, but not competitive in the conference, not nearly as competitive as they want to be in the conference, I should say. And that just struck me as you know, everybody's very excited about this game, and so much is on the line if they win. Well, conversely, the reality is, like you said, it's kind of an unfortunate thing where if they don't win, it's just kind of like, oh man, here we go again another one of these meddling middle of the pack seasons. I don't know. That'd be tough. I guess you could pick yourself up and, and stun Oklahoma and has Oklahoma looked impenetrable so far. I don't, Tulane might say no. And then the, the can of soup they beat last week would probably say yes, but that's nothing to worry about right now. Um, I think it's great. Like you said too, it, it's cool for fans to be actually to be back and to have one that you look forward to. You know, they, they lost the Maryland home game last year because of the pandemic. In addition to the Florida state neutral side game, but losing a home game against Maryland, that's still one of those things that fans look forward to is to be able to get it back and have it here, especially you look at next year at Pitt at Virginia Tech. You really got to capitalize on these things. And I, I would imagine that 60 plus thousand people will be amped up and make it work, um, which leads me to this crowd, all the, the ancillary stuff about atmosphere, ambiance. Um, Tech hasn't played particularly well on the road recently under their coach, period. I haven't played a true road game in forever either. Um, attendance extremely limited last year, and they weren't good on the road. How, how valuable do you think that is, and to what extent does that play into perhaps West Virginia minus three? I think it's a big factor. I think that's probably the one of the biggest reasons that West Virginia is favored. I know we've discussed that that typical home field advantage is like three points, so basically Vegas is saying it's a pick em. I think it might be more than that just because of the extenuating, extenuating circumstances here of Tech – never really going on the road, struggling on the road. There's a good chance that this could be one of the rowdiest crowds, even if it is a noon game in a long time. I think last week, you know, it wasn't full capacity, which I don't think anybody was expecting after a disappointing season opening loss. And then you play Long Island University. But it was almost like a warm up uh, for the fans to kind of just get them back used to. Here's a full capacity stadium. Here's how this goes. Here's how. The, you know, the, the people handing out tickets and scanning passes and doing all that stuff to get into the stadium. It was like a warm up for everybody. And this has a chance to be a sold out crowd with that. That's just really ready to go. Um, did you know if they win the game, they get into the ACC? <laughs> just like the LSU game so many years ago. Absolutely. A lot of circumstances uh, can resolve themselves here. Get off the schneid, beat Virginia Tech, get the trophy back, and hey, you're in the ACC. You take care of yourself. Um, all we need is the the Hokies plane spotted at the airport. Sometimes there you go just to, just to make it official. Call it, call up your boy Wit, mm-hmm. Wit Babcock. Yeah. There I you go. Got him on speed dial here. Um, upon pouring through the stats, I don't know how much tape you consume, Chris. Um, I sped through. I watched the UNC game, but I sped through the um, Middle Tennessee game. Watch a lot of stuff that, I don't know, it does and doesn't look familiar. It's the defense. Man, the defense is Bud Foster's defense. The offense is probably like the old Memphis, maybe even old TCU defenses with um, Justin Fuente. Uh, Special teams, 
one side really good, one side, eh, we'll see. But this this kind of feels like the old tech in the sense of the defense, the new tech in the sense of it's it's 2021 and everybody runs some variation of this offense. And Fuente was really good at it, like I said, at TCU and Memphis too. But um, to see this type of Virginia Tech coming in where it's not a quarterback who's going to run around, they're not running option, things like that. Um, wait a minute, they do have a quarterback who runs around. They do run some some read stuff. Um, and it kind of feels like what's old is new here. Your impressions watching them and getting to know them again? Yeah, the the offensive thing stood out to me. I mean, I watched – I didn't catch much of the Middle Tennessee State game. I did go back and catch it after the fact uh, when I was doing my three key matchups piece. But the UNC one, I watched, I watched the entire thing. And I, the first thing that stood out to me in that game was that I felt like Virginia Tech won in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Yeah. I thought they were getting – excellent push on offense and i thought they were getting into the backfield on defense um that that offense it, it, it's strange you know they they had some options at quarterback in the offseason they had they had three i believe it's three different quarterbacks that had fbs starting experience or at least game experience mm-hmm. and kind of settled on burmeister again who who has been kind of the guy kind of around and he provides something different than what those other guys did, and he is that kind of running quarterback. He's not a big deep threat. Uh, one of the keys in my matchup piece is going to talk about his depth of target. He's one of the worst. Not, I mean, I guess it's worst is relative. He's one of the lowest, one of the shortest throwers in all of college football. Out of like 128 eligible quarterbacks, he ranked 111th on depth of target. Uh, you know, he only throws it downfield like i think it goes over 10 yards like one out of three attempts that's it mm-hmm. so west virginia can can kind of if you can contain them i think my first takeaway and it's going to be part of part of that piece that i wrote is contain 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 and tackle like they're just not gonna they're not gonna hit you for the 70 yard pass like maryland i don't think they have they maybe they do have the athletes maybe they don't have the quarterback that can hit that 60 70 yard gain the running back's going to break out a 50 yarder like that they're going to be the team that's going to kill you by a thousand you know a thousand cuts uh, death by a thousand cuts get a 10 yard gain here throw a three yard pass that turns into 12 yard gain there and so on how much did they miss their tight end james mitchell all conference gonna be a, an nfl player tore an acl by the way uh, after the game justin fuente who by my perception is not a favorite among people who cover the team no one's ever told me this but i just watch him a distance and i think that there are some things that he does that, that probably bothers the media um he'll be fine yeah i saw that he, he could have gone back in the game he'll be fine meanwhile he tore his acl he's out for the year he's probably not going to play at tech anymore so farewell to him um but that's a big chess piece there especially all the the two tight end stuff they use too i imagine they'll miss him quite a bit and if you're West Virginia, that's great news because the tight end does seem to get you every now and then. Every now and then. Every now and then. Yeah, I mean, it's not very often that a team can lose somebody who's played, uh, you know, the equivalent of basically two full seasons as a starter and and still be okay. And he is a, a, an integral part of that offense. Even if he's not catching it all the time, just having to account for him on defense. Because uh, there are, to be quite honest, teams that you play that have a tight end quote unquote, and you do not have to worry about them. Like, you know, they're there to block and they're not going to do much else. This is not one of those. This is a guy that can that can really hurt you if you do not account for him on every play. 
they have three receivers who've caught a pass this year, three wide receivers. Uh, Trey Turner is kind of their big play guy. He's going to get a lot of the attention. Caleb Smith has three catches, no yards after the catch. Um, the one that, that concerns me, I think, if I'm watching is Tavion Robinson. That's a four-star guy from a couple years ago. 2019 All-America Honors for freshman. Dangerous punt returner, leading receiver last year. I think that Turner gets a lot of the attention. But Tavion Robinson's a guy that, that can do a whole bunch of things there. Hands it off sometimes. Punt returns, obviously, can stretch the field a little bit. But what use of these weapons vertically if everything is contained? Um, do you think West Virginia pinches down to contain this stuff and make sure that they can get downhill and make tackles or get outside and make tackles? Um, because I believe Maryland was 14 for 14 on screen passes against West Virginia. That's concerning. <laughs> Uh, and that's a lot of what you mentioned. The depth of target is not impressive, but that's also what they do. It seems like they're setting Burmeister up for success, but that may be setting up West Virginia's defense for failure. Um, do you stay back and run up and tackle? Do you play tight and hope that they don't change their stripes and go over your head? What is your tactic if you are Jordan Leslie, Shadon Brown? Uh, I think you have to go with that that look that seemed to work well for most of the Maryland game, which was the four rushers and seven dropping back because, uh, one, I think you can get pressure with four. I think West Virginia can. If it's the right four, I think they can get it most of the time, especially if they rotate in and keep guys fresh. But I just keep contained on things and try to make Burmeister hit all those short passes because you're right. They love the screen pass just like Maryland. Uh, a third, you know how I said one-third of their passes are over nine Nine yards. I mean, mm -hmm. just 10 yards is a third and everything past that. One third of their passes are behind the line of scrimmage. Like they they are very, I, I don't want to say predictable, but that that is something that they do and they do it well. But if you lay back and if you don't go into, you know, blitzing all the time, you can kind of snuff those out and then force Burmeister to kind of try to find something else to do, which is hard to do when it's a, a plan screen. But his um, his stats aren't great down the field. Uh, he doesn't complete a lot. I think he was only like two of thirteen or something over twenty yards. So if you can kind of just bring those safeties, those back safeties in just a little bit, and I don't want to call it's it's um it's weird. It's like a short prevent defense, Mike. You know the technical terms here. What am I what am I trying to 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 describe here as far as the defense goes? A short prevent is new to yeah. me. Uh, like. <laughs> It's like, like not not rushing the quarterback, but you are uh, you're not your safeties are not 25 yards down the field. They are 15 yards down the field, kind of coming up, creeping up a little bit, because basically everything they run is a short pass. Mm -hmm. Rally to the ball, then, I would guess. Big day. Yeah. For, I don't know. It could be the bandit. Could be Scotty Young. Could be uh, Jackie Matthews, who played a lot of slot extra defensive back there, too. Uh, Burmeister's deep number so far this year. Uh, three for six deep. One on the left, one in the middle, one on the right. And then just two for eight between 10 and 20 yards. Everything else, like you said, is is inside. Quick stuff, get it out. Um, and I don't know why, because their offensive line looks spicy. Like, they, they get after people. Their left tackle is 6'9", 330 pounds. They're all plus 310. They move around a little bit. They can roll some guys in. And they run the ball pretty consistently where you think play action might pop in or RPO might pop in, too. But um, that might be something there, too, that they're just going to have to continue to do what they do and see if West Virginia just lets them – gobble up what's there does west virginia get aggressive and try to contest some of those routes and play it tighter don't know um it's going to be again a good part of the chess match there too um, one thing i do want to mention this will lead to another conversation they played three quarterbacks against middle tennessee mm -hmm. 
two in your traditional slash non-traditional, but the third one who came in was not the non-traditional quarterback. Burmeister got hit up high. I believe it was a targeting penalty, too, and was, was clearly wobbled and came out, and then they brought in, like, number 2B, I think. I'm not even sure. And he played the drive out, and they scored a touchdown on the drive. And then he finished the game later when it was 35-7, to I believe. So in between Burmeister and Knox Kadem, um, they used the transfer from Texas A&M. Big guy. Connor Bloomrick, and he runs like Wildcat stuff and option stuff too. Uh, doesn't pass it, didn't pass it, but three carries, 38 yards, had a 33-yard run on like a gadget play where he took the snap, rolled right, and faked the pitch and kept it. He also scored a touchdown, and like I said, that Wildcat goal line set, they, they get him into the red zone and they bring him in. That's something to watch about too. Um, I'll transition here in a minute, but boy, there's a way to play two quarterbacks without completely changing your offense, but that's something you have to worry about, too. Um, outside the 20s, maybe it's the Burmeister show, but inside the 20s, you're going to probably look at some dose of Connor Bloomberg, who's a bigger guy and runs it really well. One of those three quarterbacks, you said, with, with starting experience, too. But um, they do some gadgety stuff, too. So they'll, they'll run some reverses. I'm not saying that they'll run a double pass, but certainly that's in their repertoire. They're running all this quick stuff, and they suck you in, too. This plan could work on offense, but it largely has to work if they're going to run the ball, too. Like, I mean, they can break through and get some alleys if they're going to play you know, if they have to go outside to cover the quick stuff, I'm speaking of the defense, then there's going to be space in the middle. Uh, that offensive line and, and their success rushing the ball so far this year. Uh, 39 carries, 224 yards, 5.7 about four touchdowns against Middle Tennessee. And then what was really successful against North Carolina, keep away, um, 43 carries, 127 yards. But they had a 10-minute edge in time of possession, too. They played fast, they played slow, but they've done it because they've been able to run the ball. I'm just trying to picture this guy. I mean, I again, I went back and watched the Middle Tennessee State game after the fact, but this is not your typical. I'm talking about Bloomberg there. That that's not your typical Wildcat quarterback. I mean, he is six five, six six, like two hundred and twenty some pounds. Not a small guy that that's kind of pushing through there and, and and trying to get runs for Virginia Tech. Do you remember the tight end for Cincinnati, who would take the direct snaps and was there? Wildcat quarterback when Brian Kelly was the head coach there. No, who's that? Travis Kelsey. Oh, yeah. Um, similar thing here. I'm not sure how much of a passing threat this guy is, but he's a hammer down by that goal line. And then they put him in the middle of the field, fake a reverse. He turned the corner and he ran away from people, got 33 yards. So you're going to have to have your eyes on who's at the quarterback. I'm not sure how much Knox Kadem will play, but um, they certainly don't have a problem handing in the keys. They did twice, once in the normal course of action, once at the end of the game there, too. So, um, listen, they're tricky with the run game. They they have two, three running backs they really like. Big offensive line, too. You've looked at these matchups here. Um, how do you feel about their offensive line against the defensive line? And, by the way, uh, Fuente had really, really complimentary things to say about West Virginia's defensive front, led by Mesador and Dante Stills, but does like their linebackers, too. Oh, sorry about that, Mike. Lost my microphone for a second. Can you say that again? More talking for me? Yeah, sorry. I, no, I, I lost your audio there while you were talking because my microphone got pulled out. Sorry. The, the matchup in the trenches here, as you said, the Virginia Tech is, has won that in both games, probably on both sides too, but uh, they've been able to run the ball a number of different running backs. Probably about even. They like them. The carries are about even too. But big offensive line, some experience. They play a redshirt freshman. Everybody else has a lot of starts. 
However, Justin Fuente, highly complimentary of West Virginia's defensive line, Dante Stills, Akeem Mesador, a lot of their movements before and after the snap. And he likes their linebackers, too. Uh, how does this match up down there? Uh, it's going to be a tough one for West Virginia because it, I was going through that. This is one of the first things that I feel like we talk about a lot, we look at, is, is the matchups and where teams like to run. They like to run inside, outside, left, right, whatever it is, or where's a weakness on the offensive line. And Tech's kind of strong all the way around, up and down that line. You look at their pass blocking, and they have, I think it was four of the five starters have a, uh, a PFF grade above like 70, like, mm-hmm. you know, and 65 is the above average mark. So it's not that, that that's pretty darn high. And then the fifth one, uh, Smith, I believe his name, the left guard is not as highly rated in pass blocking, but was much better in run blocking. So you're not really finding many weaknesses on that offensive line for Virginia tech. So West Virginia might have to get tricky with how they want to get, in and around that group up front to try to get pressure. Flip the script here. Let's go West Virginia's offense, Virginia Tech's defense. Let's just talk about the quarterbacks. <laughs> um, there is a great clip of they asked Fuente about Daigie, and the first five seconds are, well, um, he's uh, – um, <laughs> and then basically remembers that he remembers – the family because he was at TCU and, and I'm sure that he had some role in I don't know, playing against a Daigie, recruiting a Daigie, but he puts that connection together and then goes on about how he's, they have high, highly productive players on the outside and their passing game has been good and they have explosive parts of the offense. So maybe Fuente hasn't watched film yet. I'm not sure. <laughs> but the big question here is, is how much will Daigie do? How much can Daigie do? Those are different questions that are perhaps attached. And then, if, when, how do you get Garrett Green in? Um, Neil Brown says you have to be committed to a plan and have it going in. That means maybe third series could be something like that. It's very different from what I've explained and you saw and I saw about how Virginia Tech used their three quarterbacks, um, two basically, against Middle Tennessee, even though when one quarterback went out, quarterback 2B came in, but like they used the actual running quarterback in different spots in the field. They have a plan. It's many plans here, too. The more I've thought about this, Chris, I don't I don't know if I can accept Green not playing because there's a way to do it and not throw everything off the rails. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I think, I mean, I've been on this. We've been doing this for a couple weeks now saying we think he should play. We think he should play. But on top of that, I mean, the stats say he should play. Um, You look at the first first couple weeks, it's pretty small sample size. But scrambling quarterbacks which was basically just Howell in the first game for North Carolina, had success. You look back at their stats last year, had success. Yeah. Uh, teams teams that had a quarterback who scrambled, which PFF defines, you know, however they define it. They are averaging six, seven, eight yards per quarterback scramble while you're not getting as many yards in your more traditional runs. And, uh, you know, Howell, I think, had 50-some yards scrambling as a quarterback 
in week one. Middle Tennessee State didn't didn't really scramble any. I think they had one for like two yards or something. But um, that is an area where Virginia Tech's defense is vulnerable. I think it's in part because they are so relentless with their rush, with their push up front, and also because they run. It, it's it's hey, keyword here. Everybody loves this word. Multiple. Mm. multiple defense everybody loves that um but it's kind of a four two five in their traditional their base set and you got the five dbs and that fifth db doesn't play in the box as much as i think you you would see when west virginia was running basically a four two five as well so there is some space to run if you can elude that initial pass rush and that's where scrambling mobile quarterbacks like a mr garrett green Find success against Virginia Tech. And you watch the game, so did I. Middle Tennessee used three quarterbacks. Um, Bailey Hockman starts for them, doesn't run a whole lot. They had two other guys that they put in that had them run plays. Uh, Chase Cunningham, he ran some offense in in place of Hockman, but ran the ball. Uh, and then they actually, two different wrinkles here. They used uh, Shaton Mobley as like a Wildcat quarterback. They would bring him in. He got a couple handoffs and ran and did some things there. He's 6'3, 232 pounds. Uh, they also used uh, like another gadget quarterback, Mike Diliello. He's their gadget quarterback. They called him uh, one carry, 17 yards. I'm wondering if they saw the same thing um, and went for it because they're going to have to create some advantages. They're middle Tennessee. I'm not saying that West Virginia is middle Tennessee, but West Virginia's running game is not great right now. It needs to create advantages. And I just think that if you have him out there, it's it's another person you have to account for in the running game. Defenses don't typically account for the running, but excuse me, the quarterback especially Jared Daigie, Green's different. It, it might just give him some juice because this is not a great matchup for West Virginia's offensive line. I'm not sure how many great matchups exist right now for the offensive line the way it's playing, um, but this run defense is, is has some personnel but also has some configurations in the way they line up and who they put where that can give them trouble. They can play the Virginia Tech style, which was you know put a guy right over the center, put a guy in the B-gap, um, they're going to twist and stunt, which I can talk about. They can play even. They can play odd. And they have six, seven, eight defensive linemen that they'll play and keep them fresh. Yeah, that's that's going to be a key point there. It's one of the things on my matchups is that that Zach Frazier is going to have his hands full. This is we talk about Neil Brown's most important game ever. How about Zach Frazier's most important game ever? Because mm-hmm. he is going to be, you know, at center. He is the one that's got to be calling out uh, certain blocking uh, guys coming in, how you, who's got what responsibilities. And Virginia Tech will switch from a four-man front to a three-man front. They rotate a ton. Uh, you go and look at those guys that, that play on the interior of the defensive line, and, and there's four of them mostly that are listed as defensive tackles or nose tackles on their depth chart. And their defense has played, I believe, is 144 snaps, and those guys – have so basically 280 total between the two positions those four guys are getting 60 60 some 60 some 60 some 60 some you know 68 67 61 and 60 like they split it evenly and those guys are always fresh and they are relentless after the quarterback you watch that game against uh unc and Howell was constantly under pressure and it was coming right up the middle so it, you're you're accustomed to that edge that that pass rush coming from the edges and you're worried about your tackles being so young but tech loves to bring it right up the middle they have a great game they play too they're the lineup odd or even this typically works i've seen it most out of out of an odd um 
that middle linebacker will dart around. And when he runs, he's going to cross the center and he's going to cross his right to his left or his left to his right. And the center has to make a decision. Um, and if he goofs up and doesn't do it, the nose guard or the defensive tackle, I'm sorry, is going to peel around and go right up the middle. Um, they're very good at that. It's hard to it's hard to explain unless you watch it, but just imagine your three defensive linemen, and then the center is getting attacked by a middle linebacker, and that puts that center in conflict. So in this situation, we're talking about Zach Frazier, and he's got to figure out, okay, the center, uh, the center position I'm guarding is going to get attacked by this middle linebacker. Do I let him pass and hope my guard gets him? Do I slide out and hope that someone comes over and gets this defensive tackle who's now going to peel across and go right down the middle? They were good against uh, Middle Tennessee and against North Carolina with that. That's kind of one of the things that, again, it's a carryover from Bud Foster. You think about stunts and twists, and, and they, they've done it for a long, long time. It looks familiar. Uh, I agree 100%. Uh, guard, center guard for West Virginia is going to be very good. And by the way, they, they have good defensive ends, like fast defensive ends, the very destructive players. I shouldn't say destructive, but they, they get the job done there. And the one that just kind of stands out for them, right now whose name suddenly slipped my head uh taiwan garbett is in the backfield a ton and that's a defensive end that's going to be on parker moore going to be on brandon yates and they better be on him because he's just found his way around guys for for some time now um don't forget about the tackles there because the edge pressure is good um that's i don't know they're they're gonna have to be able to pass protect i understand that i think that west virginia believes it's doing a better pass protection job than a run blocking job, but boy, I don't really want Daigie throwing 50 passes in here. I'd like to be able to run, I don't know, for 150 yards. Is that too much to ask? Like, what do you think is a magic number and versus the, you know a reasonable number for West Virginia? So they're they're pass blocking better than run blocking. So I I, know, I guess I, it's all relative. I mean, what's better than absolute crap? <laughs> I guess it's, it's the, the 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 point of view here. I'm with you though. Uh, it would be nice if West Virginia could run. I, I just think it's going to be very difficult. I do. I think you're going to have to get tricky with it. Some misdirection, some counters. And um, I don't know. You you did a little bit of that on with the screen share. Is that two weeks ago, right? About a little misdirection uh, out of the backfield. But is that something West Virginia does a ton? You know, they ran a lot of gap stuff in the first game and, and did okay with it. When I say a lot, I think they were just trying to change up inside zone, outside zone, because that's pretty much what West Virginia does, but they ran some gap stuff, which is, you know, counter plays and power plays. I'm not sure it was inside the twenties or if it was short yardage, but like they did it and they were getting about five or six yards of pop. I don't know what you can really take from the long Island game, but what I do notice there is that they brought in some split zone stuff, which is something that they did early last year and didn't bring out very much. And that's just basically your your tight end is coming across and blocking an unblocked defender. It's it's kind of a trap for the defender. He's going to be unblocked. He's going to commit and make a mistake, and all of a sudden he creates a gap because the tight end seals him off. I think you're going to have to do stuff like that. I'm not sure how much power and counter stuff they can do against this defensive line. We'll see. I'm not sure how much split zone stuff they can do against this defensive line. We'll see. But if they don't run inside zone and outside zone, I don't know what they're going to be able to do. That's what they do most. That's probably what they are practicing the most. It's been their staple for two years now, one year inside, one year outside. But um, they're going to have to create alleys for this. And so far during two games, it hasn't looked good. But, man, Letty Brown hasn't looked great either. He hasn't really gotten loose. And I think there's been times where there's been something and he hasn't gotten there. The trouble is that that something hasn't existed nearly enough. And I, I wonder to what extent that's that's kind of working against him a little bit. Again, I don't take a whole lot from LIU except for the fact that 
they were getting blown backwards by Long Island's defense a couple of times. That's not encouraging. This is a much better defense on Long Island and probably Maryland too. Yeah, I think one of the things I look at with Letty Brown, because it was two years ago, he was not breaking a lot of tackles. Like that was the offensive line, to be fair to Letty Brown, has not been good any of these three years, period. Like it's not, I won't have that debate. But in 2019, he averaged about, two and a half yards per carry. And then in 2020, it was up near three. And for most of the season there, it was well above three. So he had a, like, he was breaking tackles. He was making guys miss. Um, and you're just not seeing that as much so far through the first two games. Now, small sample size, two games, wouldn't be overly concerned about it yet. But I think you're right. I think, you, you know, the offensive line, tons of issues again, which is something that needs to be addressed. But, you know, Letty Brown is not uh, infallible here. He, this is Some of this is on him. I have a feeling he's going to be using the passing game a lot. Yeah. Screens, flick it out into the, into the flat. Have him line, up, line up as a receiver. We've, we've heard about that. We've seen a little bit of that. But that could be something there, too, because I just, I just wonder if and if they do when they pull the plug in the running game. I just wonder if they get a look at it for – a couple of drives or I don't know, maybe, maybe a half, heck, maybe a quarter. I don't know. And they said, this isn't going to work. We're going to have to, you know, maybe play green, but also Daggy's going to have to pass it, you know, X number of times or X makes you maybe uncomfortable, but that might be better than sacrificing a down or two downs or doing something on third and short that you have a suspicion isn't going to work. And then this just kind of goes back to an old axiom, but you just don't want to do what the defense wants you to do. You don't want to do what the other team wants you to do. And I think if you're a West Virginia offensive coach right now, you probably are concerned that a handoff, even to a guy like Letty Brown, that's kind of a good thing for the defense. And if you get in a situation where they kind of feel relieved, then maybe they should just run away from that, which leads me to this. Pass defense has got some soft spots, right? Yeah, definitely over the middle. Um, they got some really good outside corners, but over the middle in the slot, that's a spot where you can really you know, kind of pick them apart talking about Maryland here um it's I don't know I mean the 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 numbers are part of like you know a big trend if you if you're winning you're running more if you're losing you're passing more typically because you're trying to catch up uh but looking back you you said what what's the the number x here for how many pass attempts you're looking for from West Virginia if they just bail on the running game Mm -hmm. uh West Virginia record is not great Uh, they have not won with Neil Brown in Morgantown when they throw 50 times or over, excuse me, over 45 times. Oh, they have not won. Um, and they are looking, even going down, dropping it down to 40. Uh, they are, no, they got a couple wins five and seven with it, with Neil Brown, when they drop it down to 40, so that 40 to 45 range, they're, they're pretty good, but anything above 45, just not, it's not going to work. Middle Tennessee got them on some wheel routes on the outside. They played some some fun tunes with their slot receivers. And I don't know if that's because Tech's defensive backs are so aggressive that they're going to see something and go after it, or if it was just a fluke. But you could have watched that game and seen some like fake screens to an outside guy where the slot went north. They ran some wheel stuff where the slot kind of ran around some traffic, you know, pick plays, whatever you want to call it. But the slots are active, and if you're West Virginia – Sam James, Winston Wright have been your 
I, well, we, we'll put Sean Ryan in here, but Sean Ryan plays outside. But Sam James, Winston Wright have been productive receivers so far. Uh, Wright's extremely fast. James is extremely fast. Those two, I think, have to have a big game, and I think they have to be focused on because there are ways you can manipulate those those edges there on the perimeter. And then, as you mentioned, where they put their safety sometimes to help in the run, there's going to be space out wide. Those safeties are going to have a long way to run to either get to the ball or to recover, depending on where they start their alignment. But if you're running wheels and you're running those those flags or those those verts with your slot guys, there can be space there too because those those guys have been had before. Like if you watch the Middle Tennessee State game, some of the only success that they really had consistently was when they they ran pumps or they ran wheels or something like that that got those guys just a chance to get out wide. They're inside guys out wide, and as you mentioned, you know their their outside guys are really good. Inside uh, guys have have had some trouble so far. One, I always enjoy it when I say something and your response is, ooh, really? Yeah. Uh, the the 45, yes. Uh, West Virginia, when they throw 45 times or more in a game, have not won since November of 2017. Um, and also, as you were talking right there, I was thinking earlier when I said, yeah, it's going to be a wild environment. It's going to be crazy. I thought, did I speak too soon? Are they really going to sell this out? Is it going to be full house? Just got the email. The game is officially sold out on Saturday. It will be a full house for the game against Virginia Tech. Just absolutely inexcusable if it isn't. Right. I, I agreed. And I was thinking, I just said it, and then I was like, well, is it? Because it seems to me like it absolutely should, but it is. What about my point about the slot receivers, though? <laughs> I think they're good. I, I think, you know, they got uh, Chamari Corner, who's not a great corner. Have you made that joke already? Well, that, it's Connor, so he's not a great corner. Oh, right? no. Is it Connor? Yes. And I even wrote it down. I wrote it down wrong in my story. I wrote it down wrong on my notes, everything. Um, he has not been great. Double check. If you did all that right, maybe I did something wrong. No, no, no. You're right, because I, I just pulled up text uh, too deep, and I just wrote it down wrong the first time and continued to write it down wrong. Um, he has not done well at, at the slot corner. He is typically the guy. He's listed as the starting nickel. Uh, he is typically the guy that, that lines up covering the slot. Uh, Middle Tennessee uh, did some things where they, I, I, I didn't see him. Exact, they, they picked on him. They picked on him a lot. And then they also, it, whatever it was, five wide, whatever the look that they gave Virginia Tech, they also drew down bandit safety Nasir Peoples, who has lined up in a few different spots, but typically is back deep. And they pulled him down in the box more and pulled him in to cover some slot as well. And they ate him alive, too, on, on limited action. But, you know, he hasn't been in coverage, man coverage, that much. But it, when he has, he's not been good. I believe he was allowed six catches on seven yards for – or six catches on seven attempts for 80-some yards. Mm -hmm. So those are two guys that are going to typically cover your slot receivers and cover the middle of the field – and neither has been very good so far this year. Like, actually been quite bad, while the outside corners have been quite good. So it's one of those situations where it's, why go after the guys who are great corners and might be playing in the NFL one day when you have these two weak spots both in the interior? Yeah, Waller's really good. I'm not sure what side he'll play and who he'll draw. I think he's moved around a little bit, but it, it would make sense to me to put him on Sean Ryan, I would think. But he might be a guy who runs to Bryce Ford Wheaton. Ford Wheaton had a pretty good start last game. I, I think I undersold that maybe a little bit. I wasn't 
maybe impressed by the end of the game because so many things had happened or not happened. But he had a pretty good start. I think that's encouraging. Um, I'm I'm smart enough to point out that they had some issues on intermediate stuff on the outside. You look at the numbers; they absolutely did. Um, I would imagine that West Virginia's offensive coaches are just as smart, hopefully smarter. Um, which makes me think that like Tech's going to be like, all right, how do we not have this happen again? Because West Virginia's skill was probably a little bit better. Their quarterback play is perhaps a little bit better than Middle Tennessee's. And then maybe West Virginia zags and says, all right, we're going to stretch it. We're going to try to hit Wheaton deep. We're going to try to hit Sean Ryan deep. Sean Ryan's look good. I don't know what's gotten into him. He had some explanations for just growing up and being more mature and, and finally realizing what it's like to practice and prepare. It seems like it's working. Uh, he might be your go-to guy there. So. Um, I think our point here, Chris, in a roundabout way is that they're going to have to pass the ball to be effective here. Yeah, they are. And, and like with every team, there are certain weaknesses, certain strengths. And, and I feel like with Virginia Tech, though, that it's pretty obvious on both sides of the ball what they do well and what they don't do well. And, and it's really going to come down to a matter of, of, of kind of who can game plan against it because <clears throat> picking apart uh, Virginia Tech through the air – yeah, it's it. The place to attack them is through the middle, and maybe even deep towards those safeties. But West Virginia's not great at that. They're not not too great. I mean, Daggy does all right when he throws over the middle, those quick slants, different things like that between the numbers. But um, it, it's going to be a matter of who can game plan this up, who can scheme this up, and attack those spots. Because if it's obvious to us, it's obvious to the coaches, and it's obvious to Virginia Tech, and they're going to try to make West Virginia do something else. A little double pass. What do you think? Reese Smith can throw it. I guess. Yeah, I knew I, you started talking and I was having flashbacks to last year when you started talking about two quarterbacks. Cause that was, that was your thing last year. Let's get two quarter, get two quarterbacks on the field. Little Garrett Green, little Austin Kendall in the slot. Oh. Throw it out there. I know that was, that was your thing last year. Well, don't, I, right. don't forget that in 20, um, what year was 20? Oh God, it was Howard, William Crest. And I want to say McCoy lined up in the same backfield. And then it was a read. A replay where they went left to right, the handoff went to Crest and Crest threw it. Um, that was Dana mad science phase, I understand, but like there's no way that's happening. We're not that lucky. But like my 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 point back then was that there's a way you can do it. And if you're gonna play two quarterbacks, don't put one out wide. Don't put them in the backfield together. That's the way to go. That's what I think. Like, are you gonna throw throw a pass out wide to Jared Dagey? And let him throw it? No way. Maybe you could sneak Garrett Green in the field and do it. The fans might tip you off there. But once you see that quarterback outside, you know something's up. <laughs> I would put them both in the backfield. There's no way I'm doing it against Virginia Tech. I might do it in a spring game. Might. Uh, but we saw it against Baylor a couple years ago. I think it, I think it's it's crazy enough to be uh, a conversation if you're in dire straits. I'm not sure West Virginia's quite there yet, though. Are they not? Okay, and now I'm thinking about it, actually. <laughs> this is a great idea. Uh, we haven't talked about the third side of the ball here, Chris. And you have to if you're playing Virginia Tech. Um, for for a long, 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 long time, it was Beamer ball. And they just did so many things, because, and they were really good at it. Every year, it seemed like, blocking field goals, blocking punts, returning kickoffs, returning punts. Staff different, even though that there is some, let's say, Bud Foster-esque defense. And I think one of his former players is actually – the defensive coordinator now, so that actually does make some sense. But son of a gun, they happen to have one of the best special teams coaches in the country again, and James Shivist uh, won some awards for, from his peers or whatever, and they're really good at it. They don't block a ton of stuff anymore. They just get a lot of returns. But are, are you are you in fear of a block punt or a kickoff return or something that just makes you go, oh, 
it's tech they're back in the schedule of course this happened um uh i'm gonna say yes and no here because yes i'm concerned about it but not because it's tech but because i've seen west virginia special teams over the last couple of years which have been uh, as a quick aside marketably better this year i feel like but punting has been has been meh. um Field goal kicking looks a little suspect. Last couple years, they have, uh, um, you know, not been making kicks at the rate at which you'd like to see. You know, below average in college football, rotating around to different kickers, different punters, over and over and over again. I think the return game is obviously great, Winston Wright. But if West Virginia ends up getting a, a field goal blocked or a punt blocked, I don't know how quick I would be to credit Virginia Tech, as I would be thinking, well. Saw that one coming. It was a ticking time bomb there. Um, so, yes and no to your question. So, Winston Wright's bailed them out a couple times already this year. I'm not sure they needed his heroics against um, Long Island. But the touchdown counted. The game was over before it really even started. So, he's done that. And then, you know, gave him a, set him up for a touchdown and, and set him up for a red zone possession at least. So, you think, all right, it's almost like an offensive play right now, a kickoff with Winston Wright is something that should be lucrative, should get you in one handle a couple of first downs, like two, three. He's going to go 20, 30 yards. Have you seen the stats on Tech's kick return defense? Uh, yeah, in your story, but I'll let you take it from there. It's incredible. They haven't allowed a 30-yard return since 2018. 2018. It's like that. Sometimes that just happens. Like one guy makes a play or one guy's out of his lane, and they kicked off a ton. Um, how often did they kicked off? Um, they have 396 kickoffs the last couple of years. Now, some of them have gone out of bounds. Uh, some have been onside. So 380 are returnable since 2016, which is when the coaching change took place and Shibus came in. Shibus, I'm not sure. I know enough about him to know he's good. Um, so they've had 380 returnable kicks since the start of the 2016 season. 294 have been touchbacks. They're not even going to let Winston Wright get this ball. It would be criminal to let Wright get a chance because again that's one of their best offensive plays now is a kickoff return take it away from him um boot that thing to the end zone can they do it different kicker this year right now they're five of ten so that that ratio is off a little bit I would think if Wright gets it he's got to give it a chance because he might not get many but then again they haven't had a return longer than 33 yards since 2018 Wright's averaging 51 um I'm not sure that that 51 is ever going to keep up but you'd like to take your chances but they just happen to be schematically very good at it continuity with their coaching I was blown away by that. I was just thinking, all right, there's our chance in the special teams battle. You know, Tech's going to do Tech's thing. I know they have a good coach, but West Virginia is I'm not elite. I mean, I would say even last year, the results weren't there. They did block it well, but somebody who wins that battle there is going to have a significant win. If West Virginia can get field position against the defense or get some big plays or set up scores, that's huge. And if Tech takes it away, and again, West Virginia's most productive offensive play isn't there, that's important, too. I know it's a small thing. I know I fixate on special teams sometimes, too, but that's the reality here. Like, this is a kind of a significant thing because that's that's juice for the offense and the crowd, and it can be deflating, too. So the title to your story says, uh, you know, will the Hokies give him a chance, being right? Mm -hmm. My answer, it doesn't matter because Wright's going to make a chance. Did you see him take out that, that, that 90 yarder, 97 yarder against Maryland? He was like eight yards deep in the end zone, yeah. six yards deep. Yeah. So I think. If they're really going to get a touchback, they're going to have to literally kick it out of the end zone because I think he is going to try to run with anything that he can get his hands on. Um, 
because and in and, and for good and bad. You know, it, we saw it with that punt return that he fumbled against Maryland as well. That was my point to somebody when some you know somebody a fan tweeted at me that he had to get out of the game. I said, you know, that's that's the good and bad of of what Wright's doing. If he were to fair catch when he's quote unquote supposed to fair catch, yeah, he doesn't fumble that ball, but he also doesn't have that 97 yard kickoff return. Mm-hmm. So the, you're getting the good and the bad, and I think at this rate, you got to just roll the dice and tell Wright to take it out whenever he wants to take it out. So unless Tech is kicking it out of the back of the end zone, I think Wright's going to try to break it out. I'm with you. I'd encourage it. If it's again, if, if my feet aren't on the back line, do it. Heck, you know what? Heck, go Dan Orlovsky. Have your foot out of the end zone if you want to, but just take it out <laughs> because <laughs> that's one of your best things. And he's earned that right. But again, so is the scheme. They they really like what they're doing, and, and you can watch it too. Like the big returns and even the ones where he's gotten tripped up, they've had an alley. Something has worked. I don't know if they're guessing right or if it's just one of those things where no matter what the other team does, you can shift and do it. Uh, that's typically what happens a lot of times in this. So. Again, if it's one of the best things that you do, don't let it come out of your hands. Don't let the other team do what you want them to do. And if it means, all right, let's do touchbacks, let's kick it eight yards deep, heck no. Take first and 10 at the 20 instead of first and 10 at the 25 or whatever. But he should be able to get out there and do something. And, um, and again, that's that's a juice play for the offense in the crowd. And I know Neil Brown likes his juice. Anything else here, Chris, we haven't covered? No, I think we will. We got offense, defense, special teams, kickoffs, everything. I think I think we got it covered here. Do you think Colton McGee's the kicker for kickoffs, or do you think it's Evan Staley? You know what? I found it not odd, but I it, I feel like it was telling that Neil Brown went out of his way to give kudos to Colton McGee in that situation. So it would not surprise me if he was out there uh, doing kickoffs on Saturday. Might give Staley one spin. I'm not sure beyond that because I think he was three for three on touchbacks, speaking of McGee, and kind of important. Um, Caleb King is a good return guy, one of their running backs. He's speedy. He does some things, and – Punting ought to be good, too. They have, again, they have weapons. I mentioned them earlier. There's there's a chance that there's always a chance when it comes to West Virginia's special teams. I said the, the longest time the knock on it was that something just couldn't happen. There had to be a an event attached to it. And, um, boy, I'm sure they hope that is not the case because I expect this to be a close game. And it could be it could be tilted by, you know, field position. It could be tilted by a big splash play in special teams. It could be penalties. It could be turnovers. I just think that it's, it's going to be probably a close game. I don't. I know the line looks weird, but I can't see this being something where it would start off with one team, you know, two field goals or a touchdown favored. And to be honest, if it's close and it's within a touchdown or a field goal late, that would not surprise me at all. It just seems like that's how this is gearing up. I know strengths and weaknesses exist that we've talked about. I don't think there's a huge gap between one team's strength and the other team's weakness. I think they both have ways around it or counters they can make due to personnel and versatility. Um, just tech happens to have that that one in the five next to their name and, and really owns one of the best wins of the season so far, but had a whole lot of time to prepare for that one. Played a tough game last week and it kind of went into the went into halftime 14-7, scored a bunch in the second half and coasted, but that wasn't Long Island. West Virginia's fresh. I'm sure they spent some time last week prepping on Virginia Tech. Um, I just I just don't see a lot of gaps here. I don't see one team running away from the other. I don't either. I, I think in my preview that I gave for the Virginia Tech site, I said this seems like a game where either team thinks that they're going to win 21 to 17 or 24 to 21, something like that. And what's crazy is, you know, we keep talking about how, oh, my God, I can't believe West Virginia was favored by three. And you know what? They were favored by three. And according to the stats, according to pull it up here, the money split, you know, Vegas always wants it. 50-50, so they make money no matter what. 
no man is the money so like even though it, it seems nuts to you know the people that that are on our board and people talking the general public and and the big betters are even on this that that, that seems like it's the proper line uh the one that's making me laugh the under even though it is very low at 50 and a half under 75 percent of the money on the under still mm. so they're thinking 20, like 24 21 right something like that yeah Shoot. Again, it wouldn't surprise me. I think it's going to be close. Yeah. What would have to happen for a shootout? I think there would have to be a, a Winston Wright kickoff return. Um, Blackshear is going to end up with 200 yards of like screen plays and zone runs that end up breaking outside. And I don't know. Like it's it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where it ends up with, you know. Uh, so many points because I think both teams' strengths and the weaknesses on the opposing defenses are just inviting for those underneath short passes that will kind of, you know, lead to chunk yard, not not big plays, big, you know, 80-yard touchdowns and quick turnovers and stuff like that. So, man, I can see why people think it's still going under. And, and I do. I think I said 21-17 for my final score, something like that. Interesting. All right, uh, last one. We'll go here uh, without giving away a prediction or picking a team or anything like that. Something, someone that you'll be talking about that determined the outcome of this game. One on West Virginia side, one on Tech side. I can go well, first. If you'd like, yeah, go for it. A running game, offensive line for West Virginia. I think that's going to have its fingerprints all over the final score. And then the play of Burmeister, quarterback. If he's if he's good, they'll probably have an easier time than if he's not. And if he's not good, then he probably succumbed to some of West Virginia's designs on defense. There, that might be too simple, but it's obvious. I think those are probably pillars of either team's plan. And. I mean, if we're not going with the quarterback for West Virginia, which I think would be too easy, I'm going with Zach Frazier. I think it's just so important for that offensive line. I mean, as a whole, like the whole interior of the offensive line, really, um, uh, for West Virginia. And then on the other side, it's Blackshear. Uh, with, with Mitchell gone, that takes away one of their kind of safety nets in that passing game. And even as a running back, he gets out of the backfield and he can catch it. And he always seems to be catching it. In, in, in the right motion, almost like he's playing uh, Canadian Football League, you know, where, where you can start in in motion running towards the line of scrimmage, which you can't do in college or the NFL. And he's moving forward and he's getting yards. So uh, I think he is somebody that if they can get the ball to him in space, if, if Virginia Tech wins, I think it's going to be a situation where Blackshear ends up with like 200 yards from scrimmage. I like it. Not a lot of time left until we kick this off. Plenty left to do on the website. I will have a look at the offensive line and Sean Ryan come back Friday morning with the fresh set focused on physical play for West Virginia. How you have to have it in a rivalry. Then, of course, many other things about the game by the numbers later in the day. Uh, Chris, I'll, I'll work backwards. I know you'll have your three matchups before the game. What else fills the gap between then and now? Yeah, I've got expert picks, bowl projections, uh, the expert, uh, the three key matchups I was going to do Saturday morning. I know we mentioned before that if there was a noon game, I might move it to Friday. We'll kind of see, feel things out because there, there's a lot of stuff we got, a lot of preview stuff, a lot of information, a lot of stuff for everybody to digest. And we want to make sure that it's all up there for you to read in plenty of time before the game. So it'll be up. Just not sure Friday or Saturday. It's done. Um, so we'll see. It's a great idea putting on Friday, Chris. Where'd you get that? <laughs> Hey, are we too good or too popular? I can't I can't figure out. One's one's maybe because we have an audience, one's maybe because we we drew in the audience. I don't know. I feel like our previews are are providential. They tell the future a little bit, but uh man, they're kind of quintessential as well. Yep. Necessary press box reading. 
<laughs> you got me there. Until until next time. I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Dang, good one. See ya.